0: Good morning. It is actually, uh, maybe we're more rested and energetic, but at the same time, it's kind of weird, too, to have that extra hour that I don't think generally we really get an extra hour. I think we destroy it, waste it, uh, stay up later. Um, I always thought people come later to church on the morning they get an extra hour. I don't know if that's true, but uh, anyway. Anybody show up at 8 o'clock this morning, by the way? Really? Nobody? You're just ashamed. Come on. All right. Oh. supposed to be here at 8 o'clock. Jeez. All right. Hey, I just want to quickly acknowledge um, an event a lot of us were a part of last night. Over on the other side of town, there was a gathering, a benefit gala, dinner, and um, boy, a concerted effort to raise support for um, a a ministry that's really important to our church as a whole and to many of you as individuals and families. Maybe in the last year and maybe in the last 80, well, not quite 80 years, but almost. Um, But that's Portage Lake Covenant Bible Camp up in Onekama. And it was a wonderful evening and, um, boy, seeing a, a lot of friends and meeting some new friends and hearing about what's going on at Portage Lake and hearing about some future plans and uh, it was just a great time. I want to just tell you both my own, um, my, my personal sense of gratification as a, as a pastor of this church is just observing the leadership for an event like last night that's so profoundly based here at First Covenant. And then uh, the director of the camp, Dave Nesper, got up and he shared about um, just some people looking back. You know, a couple of days ago in the Christian year was All Souls Day and a time when we acknowledge people who've gone to be with the lord in the previous year and even remember further back in history but dave just started naming the names of people who've who've uh, passed on recently have been significant in the life of camp and what was weird was uh, if i recall right of the six names he mentioned in particular uh, with the exception of one person everybody was from first covenant and it's just a sign of the the profound partnership and sense of uh, of life shared together. So, uh, for those of you who've been involved in camp, it's just a great thing we share. But I, I just, newer here to First Covenant, you will hear mention of this place. And I encourage you to be open to the possibility that you or your family may find ways in the next year to be connected and uh, experience what God's doing in the lives of others, but maybe in your life in that place as well. A couple of weeks ago, we began a brand new series in the book of Acts in the New Testament. It's a book that's written by a guy who wrote another book. It's the story of Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. But Luke wrote this second volume, and it's a two-volume series. They go together. They belong together. Uh, sometimes books by the same author are just freestanding. And in a sense, Luke and Acts can stand on their own. You can read them on their own. In our Bibles, they're separated but they weren't separated really initially. It was volume one and volume two. Volume one about all that Jesus began to teach and to do when he was on earth. Volume two about all really that Jesus continued to teach and to do in the days that followed his ascension to be with the Father. Things were new. Um, There had been this brand new movement that was birthed in Jesus' time on earth. As he met people and he blessed people and he taught people and he called people to follow him and a, a small relatively small group of people but a growing group of people listened carefully and they followed him and following his death his crucifixion his execution and rumor had it his resurrection there were still gatherings of people. Sometimes they were afraid because they were unsure. After all, their leader had just been arrested and interrogated and tortured and executed. But So sometimes they were kind of hiding out, but they gathered together in various size groups. They encountered Jesus over a period of 40 days. And following that, there were 120 core people in Jerusalem meeting together day by day, praying in anticipation for what Jesus had promised would be coming. And that was something they didn't really fully understand yet. But they began to understand a lot in the day of Pentecost when God's Spirit came on each of them and all of them in a, in a way that they'd never experienced before. And the closest analogy in a sense that we can give it is this, that, that God's presence in Jesus had been really amazing. That God had become a human being and where Jesus went, God was present and people were experiencing that when they were with him. But when Jesus ascended and the Spirit came, the Spirit came on each individual Christian as well as the Christian community. That brand new Christian community that exploded in size that first day. But that presence of God was no longer simply tied to His presence in Jesus in one geographical location. But suddenly God's presence was powerful and personal in many locations, as many locations as there were followers of Jesus who were around. We only find out just a little bit about the story in Acts, because how could he tell everything? There would be so much to tell. But this morning we're going to step into Acts chapter 3. And beginning with Acts 3 and 4, we're going to encounter the first time, it's no surprise really, but the first time that opposition starts coming up in a powerful, scary way against those early followers of Jesus. We're not going to really see that this morning, but today's story is just the beginning. Next, uh, no, two weeks from today, we'll experience more about what the Christians experience when other people were trying to snuff it out, just like Jesus had been, they'd sought to snuff Jesus out, so they sought to snuff out this this new movement. This morning, we're looking at Acts 3, I want to just read the first 10 verses right now. I'm going to invite you to stand in a way of honoring God's word as we listen, and the uh, word's going to be up on the screen, but just the first 10 verses. Uh, And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. A couple of days ago, was it four days ago, was October 31st, otherwise known as Halloween. Maybe I should say it was Halloween, otherwise known as October 31st. I don't know what your memory shares with you, but my recollection is that October fourth first is frequently an ugly day weather-wise. It's, very, it's, it's usually gray. It's frequently cold. It's often really wet. Um, we've all been there and, and done that and experienced that. But this year, it was cool, but it was, I thought it was a beautiful day. It was a beautiful evening. And it was a busy evening. Uh, some of you live in communities or neighborhoods where the truth is there are uh, very few and maybe no little children who live nearby you. So year after year, you used to buy candy and prepare for the evening, but now you save money every year by not investing in candy because it's, it's, it's a quiet night. It might seem strange to you, but believe me, there's a blessing in a quiet night on, on, on Halloween. But some others of you have young children of your own, or you live that's filled with families with young children. And so your evening is busy. It's especially busy if you have your own young kids, because you have to deal with the front door and the crush of, of young humanity that's coming to your de- door all evening long. But your kids are of an age when you don't just send them out on their own to trick or treat. You have to be with them and near them. They need a little adult vision and adult supervision going on. So you've got to divide things up and maybe get some extra help to deal with the situation. That was not Susan and my situation the other night. Our kids are of such an age that they either are not trick-or-treating or they don't need adult supervision. And by the way, they don't want adult presence. <laughs> So we didn't need to worry about any of that. All we needed to do was worry about the front door. And the front door was active. Year by year, we keep track. I I count how many kids are there as I'm handing out um, candy. And I walk in and I tally the results. uh, And circle when we get to 10 and 20 and 30. And last year, we had 321 kids. And so we'd buy candy based on whatever the number was from last year. But this year, it just didn't stop. And there were 370. We barely had enough. We just had a few items left. But you know, you know the, the way it works. We'd, we'd no sooner sit down in the kitchen and try to take another bite of something to eat or open up a, a newspaper or open up the computer than there would be a knock at the door again. Sometimes it was just a knock or a ring but sometimes it was knock, 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 knock. <laughs> sometimes it's ring, ring, ring. Our doorbell was hot, I think, from, from the evening. And I'd go up and I'd grab the, the little thing of candy and I'd open that door. And very rarely, but sometimes those kids would look me in the face and look me in the eye. But normally their attention what was, it was what was in my hands. And usually they said it up front, but at least uh, on a couple of occasions it was after... They actually took candy that they said trick-or-treat, which I didn't really understand. But uh, but normally, the attention was on what was being given. It wasn't real eye contact, and it wasn't about building any relationship. Okay, No profound connection. Um, trick-or-treat, trick-or-treat. Knock, 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 knock. They were all looking for one thing. But what would have happened if we had run out of candy and I would have had to go up and open up that door with an empty container and lean down and say, Hershey's treats and and Reese's peanut butter cups, I have not. (laughs) But I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. (laughs) I'm not sure that would have gone anywhere. I want you to think about The situation at a doorway that Peter and John experienced shortly after the coming of the Holy Spirit into their lives and into the lives of those early Jesus followers. It was a day, it was in the middle of the afternoon. These were Jewish followers of Jesus. At this time, to the best of our knowledge, there were only Jewish followers of Jesus, there were no Gentile followers of Jesus. Only Jewish followers of Jesus. And they were still of the practice. And, and In fact, I think this was what was going on in their minds. That they were still simply Jewish people. They were Israel. But they were Jesus followers and they believed in Jesus. And so part of their life was simply a daily part of their life. Uh, was to go to the temple to pray. And there was a time in the afternoon. It's called the ninth hour of the day. It's about three o'clock in the afternoon. There were a lot of people who had had that time. There was a, a sacrifice given But the focus for Peter and John was going to pray on that afternoon. And and it was one of those things. They were going with other people. And as they were approaching the gate to the temple, a particular gate, we don't know for sure exactly which one it was. It's called the beautiful gate, but we don't know what the beautiful gate was. Um, But we think it was this, this gate that was Real tall, like 75 feet high, with these two doors in Corinthian bronze. They were beautiful. It was a beautiful entrance. And shortly before they got there, walking ahead, um, some people were carrying somebody. A man who was not able to walk. I've seen pictures, um, I, I've, I've assisted people, I've been assisted when, when you get hurt And and maybe you broke a leg or broke a foot or something and and you need some assistance moving along. But that wasn't the case with this guy. He hadn't just had an injury and he wasn't able to use his legs at all. He literally had to be carried and placed down on the ground there. And there was a reason. He He needed something to do. He needed some money. There was no way for him to work. There was no way for him to make a living. And so frequently, maybe even day by day, he was carried there and laid there at different times of day, but at the time when there would be a lot of people coming. And it was a likely location and likely timing, because in the Jewish faith, like the Christian faith, when you see someone in need, it is part of our faith to pay special attention to people who are suffering or hurting, or who are what we might in our day call have-nots. It's just part of our faith. And so it, it, so it was in the Jewish faith. And it was likely that people going in to be with God's people, to worship God, to pray to God, to be a part of a sacrifice to God, would also honor God by giving what they used to say was almsgiving. That was a particularly meritorious work in the Jewish faith. I want to read these opening words again. Just catch the scene. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. And now a man who was lame from birth. He had never walked in his life. He had never stood on his own feet. He had never moved along. And in Acts chapter 4, a little bit later in the story, we find out that this man was over 40 years old. A man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he is put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts, and when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. He saw them, and he asked. The issues were deeper, granted, but it's not entirely different from when I would open the door on October 31st in the evening, during the hours of 6 to 8, which is the time in my neighborhood. And those kids would see me walk up and get near. And they knew that I was a likely, they were absolutely convinced that I was a likely source of candy. And they would say, trick or treat, trick or treat, trick or treat. When Peter and John were passing by, there were other people going too. I'm sure he was, he was an equal opportunity inviter. Anybody, anybody, you know. But, but he saw them. And he spoke to them, alms for the poor, help, I need your help. And Peter and John hesitated and stopped. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. And so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from him. I think the man was probably like most of those kids walking up to my door. They weren't normally looking in my face. They were looking at my hands. And when he yelled out at people, he wasn't catching their eye every time. He wasn't trying to connect with them on that level. His, uh, um, his expectations in life were minimal. He wasn't expecting ever to walk because he had never walked. All he was expecting and hoping for was a little bit of money. And maybe he was kind of ashamed the whole scene. This was all he could do. All he could do was ask for help. All he could do was receive. When you're in that situation and you're always asking for help from someone else, you don't usually look them in the eye. You look at their hands and see if they're going to give you anything. But Peter looked at him, looked at him, looked him in the eye, even when his eyes weren't looking him back. And Peter said, look at us. There's an exclamation point in my NIV translation of the Bible. But I don't think he was yelling at him. I don't think Peter was angry. I think Peter was seriously inviting him. Look at us. We're looking at you. And here was the crazy thing. Peter didn't have to offer what that man wanted. He did not have any money. His pockets were empty. But he made this most powerful statement. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Nobody had ever said that to him before. Nobody had ever offered anything like that at all, either with Jesus or without Jesus. Nobody had ever told him to walk. And if someone had told him to walk, he wouldn't have been able to. But let's see what happens in the story. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Peter said to him, in the name of Jesus the Nazarene, stand up and walk. And the man heard that and he didn't do anything. Because he didn't know how to do anything. He didn't know how to stand up. He didn't know how to walk. It had never happened before. Peter could kind of see that he was stuck. He didn't know how to respond. And so Peter reached out. As one guy put it a long time ago, the power was God's, but the hand was Peter's. God had already healed him. Peter reached out and he took his hand and he helped him to stand. And he stood. And then he started moving and walking. You know how healing takes place normally? This guy, possibly, if he was alive today could possibly have some kind, we don't know the exact situation, but it's conceivable that he could have some kind of corrective surgery that would address at least substantially many of the things that limited it and made it impossible for him to walk. But if he had received that surgery, what would have happened next? He wouldn't have just stood up and walked on his own and started running around and jumping and singing. There would have been a long period of time of therapy. Of learning how to do something. Learning how to do something he'd never done before. Even if he'd done it once upon a time and had an injury and he'd had the corrective surgery. There would have been a period of time where he learned again how to walk. But this man knew none of those things. And so Peter reaches out, helps him up, and he starts moving. Do you understand? This is what we would call a miracle. It is what is called in the book of Acts, again and again, signs and wonders. It's something that happened through the powerful name. Notice the song we sang before this morning. The beautiful name of Jesus. The powerful name of Jesus. The beautiful name of Jesus. The powerful name of Jesus. The person of Jesus changes people's lives. And this is the most vivid example of how that happened in one man's life a long time ago. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went in with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. One more thing about this guy who'd been incomplete as a human being, who'd, who'd suffered and struggled, who wasn't a whole person. He'd never been able to go into the place of worship. He'd never been invited to, to life as a complete Israelite. He was always outside, outside the temple, outside of a powerful, complete relationship with God. And when Peter offered healing in the name of Jesus, not only was he enabled to walk, but he was made whole in a way that enabled him to enter. To enter into a life he'd never had before. And what happened was, people observed, they saw something happening. You know, even today, if you're just walking into church on Sunday morning... And you see someone kind of running along and jumping up and down and smiling and laughing and singing. Do you notice? And what do you do? You lean over to the person next to you and say, what's his problem? I mean, we would be troubled if someone came in too exuberant on Sunday morning, right? Like, what's wrong? (laughs) Well, they paid attention on this day as well. They saw what was going on in this man's life. They saw this. And they wondered at because they recognized him. They knew that he was the man, 40 plus years old, who'd never walked in his life, who was always being carried there to beg for money. And suddenly he was moving around. A sign and a wonder is something that makes you ask questions. It's something that grabs your attention. It's something that makes you surmise or question, what's going on? How did this happen? What's this about? It's a wonder. It's a sign as well. Um, In Near the end of this this chapter, Peter speaks and he talks. He talks about Jesus and the reasons. And um, he says this in particular in verses 19 and 20. In the middle of his message. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. A sign is something that takes place under God's power and God's direction that is more than itself. It's not just that this man was able to walk. It's not just that this man was was healed, it is that his walking and his being healed was a sign of something else. It was a sign of the kingdom of God. And with it being a sign of the kingdom of God, it was a sign of the king of the kingdom of God, of Jesus. And of his power and of his goodness. And what happened through his name in the lives of other people. It was like a time of refreshing, a sign that was a time of refreshing for this man But it was a sign of yet more to come. Of a world where someday there would be no bodies that were limited. And no souls that were shut down. No lives that were lonely and broken. A time of complete restoration when everything would be right. At its best, that's what God does in our lives. In miraculous ways sometimes and in not necessarily miraculous ways at other times but in real ways of transformation and change where the reality and the power that's in the name of Jesus Christ, the reality and the power that's in the presence of God's Spirit does something to us and does something in us that makes us different than we would otherwise have been and that change and that transformation is a sign that Jesus is a name to be reckoned with and a person to meet and that God is something more in plan in store for the future so powerful and so important real quickly as people heard this they came running around in the words that followed, well, the man held on to Peter and John. All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though, you, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy One and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this, and by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him. As you can all see. I want you to think this morning, as we get ready to head into this, in this new week, about just a couple of things. Number one is this challenge. The challenge to know the name of Jesus. Name means more than just name, just to say the name Jesus. A name was was like an identity. It was the the reality of a person, the character of a person, the story of a person, the authority of a person. A month ago in the United States, talk about politics and the divisiveness, there were hearings about a a nominee to become a member of the Supreme Court. I'm not going to try to dissect that, but I'm going to sum it up real simply. There was a concerted effort to lift up and magnify the name of a man talk about his life and what he'd done and his accomplishments and what he was like to make the name of someone great. And there was also a concerted effort to destroy the name of a man, to share stories or rumors or accusations that would diminish that name. And in making a name great or destroying a name, it was actually to make a person great or to destroy a person. A name is a really important thing. What people say about you when they hear your name, what they think about is a profoundly powerful reality. The name of Jesus isn't so much what we make of him, but as what he is, the son of God, the word become flesh, the holy and righteous one, the servant of God, the one who came and changed people's lives and set a new trajectory for the human race, for all who would listen and respond and trust and follow him. And for us to know the name of Jesus, to use it, not like the third commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God or the name of Jesus. There's a lot of misuse of the name of Jesus. In swearing, but also by Christians. We toss around Jesus' name in dangerous ways. But on the other hand, some of us don't use his name very much. We don't talk to ourselves about him. But his name is the most important name you will ever know or ever hear. The most important name that you can ever get acquainted with. Know the name of Jesus and recognize how central he is to life. To history. To the story of so many people. And if he's not central to your life, you know what? I think you should ask some questions. Why is Jesus so important to so many other people? Second thing, be like Peter and John. When people are apt to give all their attention to you and to praise you for something you've done, will you learn to say a quick thank you but learn to deflect? Peter and John said, hey, it's not because we're so impressive. It's not because of our own power or piety. This happened Because of God. This has happened because of the name of Jesus. We should not be people who seek to get all the attention for ourselves. But to deflect towards Jesus Christ. Finally, I want to encourage you to pay attention. Peter and John had walked into the temple before. That man was placed by that temple gate day after day after day. Peter and John had walked into that same temple. Temple Gate, day after day after day. As best we can tell, they had never particularly noticed him before. They may maybe save, saw him, maybe on some occasion they gave a little money, but they had never looked him in the face, and they'd never said to him, "Look at us." They'd never engaged with him before. I want to remind you that we are surrounded by people of all kinds, but everyone has a need some have health needs some have relational needs some have financial needs some have have uh, uh, just life purpose and direction needs there are needy people around us all the time and we move by them so quickly we're busy we're focused on ourselves and we live in a Christian world and they're not a part of it we make judgments very quickly not likely I look at people all the time and I say not likely anybody else do that? I try to correct that quickly, but there's something we make snap judgments about people. But God invites us to look people in the face, to listen carefully, and to pray silently. Don't move your lips. Don't speak out loud. But when you see people, be praying for God's work in their lives and asking, is there something I'm supposed to be aware of here? If Peter and John hadn't done that, So we can do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, just this little vignette, this moment in the life of the earliest followers of Jesus and the profound thing you did in a man's life. You changed it. You gave him a new life. But even more, you raised up the powerful, beautiful name of Jesus. Help the name of Jesus to be powerful in our lives. Help us to see how beautiful he is. And in these moments as we gather around his table, may we, in a sense, and in a way, see him face to face and be prepared to deflect from ourselves, not to us be the glory, but to give the glory to him and to you, Father. And help us this week to have our eyes wide open to the lame people laying by the temple door all over our world again and again. We've passed by them before. Maybe this week, Lord, you want us to see somebody and for them to see us and for us to talk. We pray in the name of Jesus.